on this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Naturist Fiction. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca I'm Stéphane Deschain, the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, and your host for today's episode of The Naturist Living Show. I've received a lot of great feedback from uh, listeners and people who are subscribing to the podcast, and that's always appreciated. I like to hear the comments and the suggestions and even the criticism, if there's any. I got an email the other day from somebody who said they couldn't get the picture in the video to the podcast. So I had to inform them that this was an audio-only podcast. And it got me thinking that one of the things I like about doing this is unlike magazines which without pictures would be a little flat or uh, videos or movies there's no visual here so it means that everybody who's listening is really only interested in the ideas and the thoughts and the things we're discussing it's really about naturism as opposed to attracting people who are looking for pictures and that may be why we only have uh, a few hundred subscribers instead of uh, thousands and thousands of people who go through the uh, federation of canadian naturist websites or the barrel website looking for pictures so it's, that's nice, and I guess it's the same thing about naturist fiction. We uh, we had a, one of our early episodes was about uh, naturist movies and films, and a lot of them tended to be exploitive because people were using it, uh, early on in the 20th century as a way to get nude pictures and nudity in the movies so that they could get huge audiences of people trying to see some flesh because it was so hard to see at that time. And uh, fiction, I mean... Movies generally tended to be fiction as well, but generally when we talk about fiction, we're talking about books and and short stories and essays and things that are written, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Since the very beginning of naturism, there's been naturist fiction. People have been writing stories as a way sometimes to illustrate their point or to explain the philosophy uh, through a short story or sometimes through whole novels. There have certainly been a lot of exploitive novels as well that are set in naturist environments, but at least in those cases... Um, it's not for the pictures, and uh, that that's a little refreshing. So I called Tom Pine. He's been uh, he's written quite a bit of naturist fiction. Tom is 63 years old. He's been married for 30 of those 63 years, and he's been a naturist for almost 11 years. Tom Pine writes under the uh, name T.H. Pine. He's a native of New Jersey and a freelance writer who's known for his short stories and uh, horror genres in magazines. He's done a number of reviews, movies reviews, and book reviews, and he's written quite a few novels as well. Up until recently, he was uh, working for Verizon, and in 2003, he was given an opportunity to take early retirement. He jumped at it, and now Tom and his wife Marilyn are full-time RVers traveling around the country, and he's making a go as being a full-time writer. So welcome, Tom, to the Nature's Living Show. And uh, to be here. I'm. Uh, I, I, this is this is a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking about uh, nature's fiction and writing, and uh, there's a lot of it out there. But uh, why don't we start by hearing a little bit about you? Uh, how did you get into becoming a writer and eventually, I guess, writing nature's fiction? Because I understand na- fiction came before nature's fiction. 
Well, um, I started out with my writing back as in my early teens. Um, I <laughs> I can remember a somewhat embarrassing little short story I wrote. Very personal. I never intended anyone to read it, but I just wanted to write it. And I guess I was exploring my uh, newfound uh, sexuality. And it was very uh, modest. It was nothing pornographic, but... My parents got a hold of it, and oh my goodness, I was embarrassed out of my skin. I, I just thought I wanted to die right then and there. Uh, but I, it, to me, it seems like if I'm going to experience something, I need to write about it, to totally experience it. If I've gone somewhere or done something, to write about it helps me to clarify my thinking about the experience, and I feel more satisfied uh, in doing that. So that's pa basically uh, the motive behind my writing. Uh, I didn't uh, really get serious about my writing until I was in my mid-30s. I didn't really think I had anything to say uh, until, because I didn't have enough life experience. But I started putting stuff together in my uh, uh, 30s, and, and I, I, a lot of short stories. I was trying to break into the science fiction uh, genre, kept getting my rejection slips from the magazine and telling me. The guy was good. The editor was good. He told me what he didn't like about the story so I could improve as I wrote my next one. And then I'd read the magazine the next month and they had a story in there and the person did exactly what he told me I shouldn't do. So I got a little disenchanted about that. Um, a friend of mine, who was a naturist, by the way, uh, Alan uh, Parker, I'll tell you about him because he, he, he won't mind my saying his name and he won't mind the fact that he's a writer and he has his own books, uh, Nudist Among Us, uh, I can't think of the other ones off the top of my head, but uh, he turned me on to a publisher that a lot of people consider a vanity publisher, but they will take your manuscript and put it from manuscript to book, and you don't put a dime in. You just sign a contract, and they produce the books, and you're expected to sell them. They've since taken on so many uh, writers, it's very difficult to get anything moving along with them anymore, but I was glad for that, and I got my first book in print. And the rest, as they say, is history. So was that first book a naturist book? Actually, no. Uh, my wife is a very big Anne Rice fan ever since she wrote, read uh, Interview with the Vampire. I read it and I passed it on to her. I, thought, I said, I think you'll find this interesting. And she loved it. And we, we went through all the books. And she wanted me to do a uh, vampire story. She's one of my biggest fans, by the way, as, as in my writing. And uh, I said, I'm not going to do a, a vampire story unless I come up with a unique idea. And one day I was shaving, and no, I didn't try, I almost cut my throat. <laughs> I had a little epiphany. I called it my shaving epiphany. And I came up with a whole new slant on the vampire m mystique. And Dawn of the Blood Moon was the first book, and it became a trilogy. And those were the first three books I, I put out. When people read those or didn't want to read them because they said, well, I'm not into all that gory vampire stuff, which is really not true about these stories. It's not just gory. Um, they said, I, I like mysteries. So I thought, you know, maybe I should start writing mysteries. So I took a little short story idea. I had written about two pages worth, threw it on uh, in my computer, stored it, and I, I, I dusted it off, and it became my first mystery novel, The Pastor and the Private Eye. And now I'm up to five, and my publisher's working on the second one. I got involved with naturist writing um, through my newsletter. I would get these little ideas for naturist uh, scenarios, 
And the very first thing I ever wrote was a little short story about maybe three or four pages called Tolerance. And it was one of those uh, what-if type of scenarios. I was sitting in a diner watching some motorcycle types checking out and, and noticing how different they were from the people that usually went into this diner. And then I wondered, what if it was acceptable to be nude in public and a naturist group came into the diner? How would people re- respond to that? So that was my first story. And were you, had you become a naturist uh, as you were writing and as you were an author? Did you discover naturism in the middle of that? Uh, yes. Um, I, we had just come back from a nudist park, as a matter of fact, <laughs> and we were stopping to eat on the way home. And this is where, why I was in that particular diner. Uh, yes, I came into naturism uh, after I started uh, writing, and uh, it seemed very natural at that point since my entire view of social nudity had changed. Why not incorporate some of that into my writing? And that's when I started thinking seriously. Part of it was a discontent with a lot of the stuff that I had read. There are a number of websites out there um, that publish fiction. Uh, I can't think of I was looking, and I just can't seem to find the other websites. Maybe I just didn't bother to save them. But uh, they they put out a lot of fiction, and it's a lot of the cases. It's Joe goes to nudist park, doesn't want to get naked, finally gets naked, loves it, meets Jane. They uh, hold hands, walk off into the sunset, the end. And I, I read so much of that, and it just got me a little discontent. I thought, well, why not try a different take on stories, put them in different scenes, different uh, aspects of a person's life, uh, different scenarios, only involve naturism with it. Then I came across a website, the Fig Leaf Forum up there in uh, Manitoba, and John Cundert is the editor. He does a, a wonderful job putting out the newsletter, and he publishes fiction. And I sent him one of my short stories. He liked it, and he, and he printed it. And then one day I went to a movie. Um, you may be familiar with it if you have children, The Bridge to Terabithia. Yes, yes, fan- yep. A fantasy movie. And I thought to myself, this is a great story. What if it, I did it a little bit more of a, like a naturist story? And that's how my pal Sylvia came about. And I sent it to John with a little trepidation because there were some small episodes uh, involving human sexuality, and I wondered how he would accept that. And John told me that he felt it was uh, appropriate considering the situation. And he went and published the whole thing, and people responded. I, I, I was floored by the response. I have a, a file of 17 pages of emails of people making comments about the story, and 99% of them were positive, and I was humbled by it because I, I really hit a nerve, and people really responded well, that's fantastic. You're you're absolutely right on the uh, the topics. You know, in, in, in fact, with this podcast, one of the things I wanted to do is this is not about uh, what you know how great it is to be naturists. We all know that, and and there's a, there's a there's so much of that out there. You know, whether it's through fiction or through people's websites or through podcasts or however people are expressing themselves, and we all know that we're all naturists. There's a lack of of what is life like as a naturist. There's all these other rich things that happen in our lives um, that could be expressed through a naturist lens, and I think that's what you're doing really well. Well, uh, since I've uh, done my pal Sylvia, my first effort for John was actually a story called The Neighbors, 
And it was one of those classic situations where uh, people live in a neighborhood and new people move in next door. And the wife, who's sort of a busybody, looks out of her bedroom window. And if she gets up on the uh, on a chair and looks through the top of the window and way to the left, she can see a tiny corner of the yard. And every now and then she sees the uh, neighbor out gardening in the nude. And she gets all exercised about it. Oh, my God, he's naked again out there. And, and her husband is like, what's going on? So I did a whole story about that it was called The Neighbors. And uh, it, 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 that one turned into a novel, which I have available as an e-novel, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm actually selling that one. Um, then I, I did stories as diverse as um, The Further Adventures of N-Man. And that was about a uh, slightly adult-pated fellow who went, ran around New York with sandals, a cape, and wing helmet, and nothing else, fighting crime. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I did another one called, uh, it came out of my, my pal Sylvia because people thought I was bashing the Catholic Church, which I wasn't. Uh, I, I just made positive and negative statements as they came up. I didn't have any particular axe to grind. So I wrote a story featuring somebody who was Catholic, and the story is Father Al takes a vacation. It takes place about 300 years in the future, and he goes on a nude cruise. Only this cruise is a tour of the solar system. That was, that was, the, so I mean, I, I, I've done another one called Night Encounter, where a guy literally finds a nude female body by the side of the road. Turns out she's not dead, and it goes on from there. So I try to do something different in all my stories. So where where do you get your inspiration? Where did the ideas come from? Is it personal experiences or um a lot of them are. Yes. Um it it would I try to make all these stories believable. Uh you know, you don't want a situation where somebody gets naked in a ridiculously public situation and nobody responds and everybody says, "Oh, this is cool." And so they all get naked and they jump in the pool and the end. Uh I try to make it believable and people's react I I try to see how would people react if I were to do this in this situation and I try to put that into the story there is a little bit of stretching credibility but in order for the story to move on I have to do that and you know it's it's the liberty you can take as a writer to move your story along the, I think there's a lot of people that have ideas uh, for stories perhaps that are naturists themselves what would you? What kind of advice would you give them? How would they get started? What should they do? Should they try? I mean, not everybody's a writer. Well, at the last couple of um, Naturist uh, Society uh, gatherings or festivals, actually, I did a little thing called uh, writing Naturist fiction, and I get asked this a lot when people say, "Oh, you're you're pursuing a career as a writer now," and I tell them, "Yes, I am." And, they say, oh, you know, I've always been meaning to write uh, my life story or my memoirs or I have this idea for a great story. And, and I usually will tell them, okay, that's, that's the first step. The next step is you need to learn how to write. Not everybody can write. Um, many people can. I mean, more people can write than think they can, if that makes any sense. A lot of people say, well, I could never write. But they have a story. They just need to develop the tools to do it. It takes a while. I mean, it's been years in, in, in my learning how to write, but I'm finally starting to use those writers' tools, and I now critique novels that I read. I mean, I, I've critiqued James Patterson, for Pete's sake. <laughs> but but it's, uh, after a while, you develop a feel for what works and what doesn't work. Uh, not to be immodest, but I happen to be 
I think I'm very good at writing dialogue. In fact, my first mystery, the editor said, most people, I have to tell them to write more dialogue. You told the whole story in dialogue. I said, well, I'm sorry, but uh, I've been told use more dialogue. And she said, yeah, but you've got to have something in there to fill in the gaps. So I had to add a few scenarios to, to round it out a little bit. So it, it's something you, you learn by writing. You're not gonna, you can sit in a seminar. You can sit, go to writers' conferences. You can read how to write books on the, on the web and buy books left and right. But the only way you're going to do it is to sit down and however it's comfortable for you, write. I, I used to write longhand, obviously, before computers came out. And when the first viable word processor, processor hit the, the, the scene, I was ecstatic because uh, here was a, finally a way I could do my writing without all that painstaking, writing it out, crossing out, changing, recopying it. That was just so hard to do. And then typing and typing and then retyping. With a word processor, you can get it all straightened out, corrected, spell-checked, reread, and not even see paper once. And so I, I find writing uh, with a word processor to be very good because I can just sit down at the keyboard and let my thoughts flow into the keyboard. It helps if you know how to type. If you're a hunt-and-peck typist, you're going to have a lot of trouble writing a novel. It may take you 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So – Let's let's get a little uh, a little hard here. What doesn't work? You've probably read a lot of bad fiction. What doesn't work? Well, a couple of the things that uh, annoy me in, in a novel is uh, number one, the character is too too much of a smart aleck all the time. Uh, you can't. It's it's nice to have a little bit of banter and a, and a funny guy, but there's a couple of writers I know they the character is such a wise guy all the time. You just want to shoot him. Another uh, failing that a lot of writers have is uh, I find it interesting. Women usually write very good men characters. Interesting. They may be a tad sensitive for, the, for the average guy, but they generally write very good men. Men, on the other hand, have a hard time writing believable women. Your average adventure novel, James Patterson, Harlan Coban, guys like that, s some of them get it right, but a lot of the times... The woman uh, protagonist in the story, she's got the I IQ of Einstein. She can shoot a gun, drive a car, skydive, fly a plane. Uh, she's an archaeologist. She reads quantum physics in her spare time, and she's fashion model gorgeous. <laughs> to me, that just turns me up. My, the protagonist in my mystery story is a little petite, five-foot-one brunette who's been fighting a weight problem all her life, and she's very sensitive about that. And she's always fighting, always dieting, always trying to keep her weight under control through exercise and so on. So I, I try to make a, my characters a little bit more believable. Okay, so on, uh, her husband happens to be a hunk. So sue me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I've read stories where the, where the author is going is very predictable, but it's okay. It's okay. It still works. It's still a really interesting book. But sometimes – you know exactly where they're going. It's like, ugh, you know, I know why exactly. Bother? Yeah, why bother? I know exactly. What do you think is the difference, you know? Well, it's, a, it's kind of a, a tightrope that you're walking. Number one, if the terrain is familiar and you know your reader is going to enjoy following, you lead them along the path without any surprises. But it's always nice every so often to just kind of throw a curve in there. And here's something I find very fascinating. It, it floored me the first time it happened. I was stunned. 
I, when I write dialogue, I love writing dialogue because it's like having a conversation like I'm having with you. I don't know exactly what you're going to say in response to what I'm going to say. And even though I'm writing both sides of the conversation, sometimes the conversation goes off on a left turn that I never anticipated. And I'll think, oh, this is weird. So let's follow that. And I get a whole new insight into the situation, and it sometimes changes a story entirely. So if you can do that while somebody's reading, and suddenly it just kind of veers off somewhere, and they say, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that, that's all to the better. I mean, it'll keep the reader jumping to the next paragraph. Interesting. Now, that, that begs the question, when you start a story, do you know how it's going to end? Uh, not all the time. Sometimes I'll start a story. I know how I want it to begin. That was my first mystery thing. I wrote the first two pages, and it was just a, a pastor who was being put in the back of a police cruiser, and they were reading him the Miranda. Anyway, they were, and that's how that one started. I had no idea where it was going from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, other stories, I know what the ending is, and I have no idea how I want to get there. And other stories, I know the beginning, and I know the ending, and I'll write them. And then I fill it all in in between. I, I tend to write in vignettes. I'll put something on paper, throw it in the computer. I shouldn't say paper. Throw it into the computer, come back, and I may move it to, toward the end of the story because it looks better there than it would at the beginning. And I'll just keep doing that and switch stuff around, and sometimes it just takes the story in different directions. So I, I often don't know uh, how a story is going to end, nor do I know how I'm going to get there. And occasionally, what I ha- an exercise that I do is when I go to bed at night, that little period of time you spend composing yourself to go to sleep, I start thinking about a storyline and about something that the two characters are having happen. And I'll think about that. Very often, I actually awaken the next morning knowing exactly what I wanted to do with the story because I thought of it before I fell asleep and I must have dreamed about it or something because the next morning I knew exactly what I wanted to do with the story at that point. Interesting. Um, I, I, I write a lot in my business marketing, um, but it's a different kind of writing. They're not stories. And I have to – I organize – you know, I usually organize my thoughts because it's, it's often to convince somebody of something. So you have to get – you know what the conclusion is and you have to just assemble all your, your facts and ideas. And then, you know, I'll tend to do that uh, almost in a flowchart kind of thing. Do you ever do that or do you just kind of write? It's funny you should mention that because my son happens to be a direct response TV marketing consultant. He's, a, he's one of a very small fraternity. I don't, I don't think there's more than 10 of these people in hmm. the entire country. Yeah. And uh, he, he recently got me writing some ad copy for some uh, DRTV ads and some magazine ads. You know, the ones you see in the Rotogravure, you know, uh, uh, the ear listening device or whatever. It's these little products that that 1995 plus, And if you act now, one of those things. Right. And he got me writing some ad copy and he sent me some material to read about these people who are the gurus in the industry. And again, it's an, it's an entirely different style of writing for me. But he said that my first effort, was, he seemed to think I'm a natural player because I, I seem to hit all the high spots with very little editing. And uh, it was very interesting because I'm writing in an entirely different format and finding that if you're a writer, you can pretty much write anything. I could write a technical book. I just have to follow the formula. I had to do that with mysteries. I, I read mysteries and I listened to mystery readers what they like and what they don't like about mysteries. So when I wrote my first book, I sent that out to all my mystery fan and friends. 
and said, look, would you please read this and get back to me. Tell me where it was weak. Tell me where it was strong. And they, they all liked it. Some of them said they figured it out about three quarters of the way through. Some said they figured it out halfway through. Some said I, I never saw it coming. I don't mind that. A, a mystery reader will not want you to cheat. You have to get all the facts in there so that they could solve it. And if they're sharp enough, they're going to solve it eventually. But that's okay. They're satisfied. want to know that, gosh, I figured it out before it got to the end. So can you have a story without murder or sex? It seems to be part of every story I've ever read. Um, somebody once told me the best stories are people stories. And he pointed out Neil Simon. He's always been very popular as a playwright because his stories always involve people. Uh, if you don't inc- include people in stories, I don't care if it's science fiction, mystery, horror. If you're, if you're not writing about people that people care about, your story's going to go nowhere. It's going to be a technical ex- uh, exercise in scaring people or disgusting people or whatever. It just, but it, people will lose interest in it because it's not about people. So if you have people, yeah, you're going to have sex. If you have people, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have mystery. You'll have all of those things, emotions, family life. It, it can be, you know, it's all aspects of people. It's not just about sex or mysteries, although that seems to be a very popular theme today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I recently read a book called The uh, The Reluctant Nudist by Alan Palmer uh, in the UK. And, you know, it was a great book. Uh, in the beginning, I was really getting into it. I was going, man, this guy really gets it. It's, you know, it's an interesting, you know, a predictable uh, scenario because it's, you know, a couple, not naturist, driving in the middle of the night, they're lost, check into a place, get a cabin in the middle of the dark and don't know where they are, of course. It turns out to be a nature's resort. So in the morning, they get up and everybody's naked. And But, it, it, you know, you talk about people. What I really liked in the beginning is that the author was really getting into the characters and how they felt and how they were dealing with it and their own, each perception on it and how they were... How they were... They eventually, obviously, they become naturists, but not easily, which is good. Uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be... Sometimes, you know, naturists all think, oh, yeah, it's easy, everybody's just, you know, you try it once and you're done. It, it takes a little bit of work to shed, you know, whatever it is, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of uh, socialization, uh, depending on how old the person is. Uh, but I was very disappointed in the end because they brought in sex, which is fine, and naturists uh, like are sexual beings as well, but it degraded very quickly into being swingers and finding out there was a secret society of swingers that met under the clubhouse and the S&M dungeon. I mean, it was just the end. It, it, it of course, reaffirmed every, you know, the, the general population's belief that naturism is secretly all about sex and some sort of perversion. And obviously we know it's not, but and it's always disappointing to see uh fictions or stories that that just pander to that perception. So I, I've got to admit, when I first started reading My Pal Sylvia that you wrote, uh, and you started bringing in the sexuality, plus the fact it was sexuality of, uh, you know, uh, 13, 14-year-old teens, I had a little a bit of trepidation going, oh my gosh, where is he going? But you handled it really well. Um, so, you know... S- what advice would you say to people? You know, when you're bringing sexuality into this kind of thing, what what would you suggest to people? What would you tell them? What 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 do you like? What do you feel is the right thing to do? Well, if you're writing about people, and people obviously are the you know naturists, um, animals aren't naturists. Most of them have a coat of fur. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we uh, 
you can't deny the fact that human beings are sexual creatures. I mean, I've often said uh, it isn't about sex. Give me a break. You know, we have two sexes. We have female and we have male. It's all about sexes. You know, that this is part of the charm of social uh, nudity. Uh, or, or yeah, being nude socially is the intermix of uh, the sexes. Uh, that makes the whole thing uh, more enjoyable, uh, I suppose, because you have two sexes involved. I mean, I've been naked with guys in, in situations even other than naturism, and no big thing. No, no big thing. But when I'm in a in a nudist park environment or in a naturist environment, it's I always enjoy interacting with uh, men and women, and uh, that that enhances the experience for me. However, like in the story My Pal Sylvia, sexuality doesn't have to run rampant. I mean, you don't really have to take your clothes off to have sex. And uh, you can control it. In, in My Pal Sylvia, the story is, is, is based on faith. It's a, really a faith story to some degree. And these kids are exploring sexual things, as I did as a young Christian boy. Um, but... I've always had that overlay of morality that I was taught that would keep me from stepping over the line. And, and my pal Sylvia didn't step over the line because there was this uh, um, morality inherent in the male character because he came from a Christian family, even though Sylvia, when she was a girl, wasn't a Christian. But his reticence to go across the line kept him from doing more than uh, just a, a brief uh, periods of exploration. Well, and there's no question that you know that we are sexual animals, uh, but it's not like there's a complete lack of sexuality when people are dressed. You know, people still are attracted to each other and and look at each other and that kind of thing. I I don't know why anybody would think it would stop in naturism, um, but why a nature story would have to degrade, as in the the reluctant uh, nudist into all this this perverse stuff, I, I don't understand. Do, do, yeah, do, to me that that's just. Uh, that's ludicrous. I mean, it all it does is feeds into the th thought that everybody has that, yeah, see, I told you, there are a bunch of perverts. Now, did you get anybody criticizing the fact that you were talking about, I think, were they 13, 14-year-olds, uh, children having sexual thoughts, and you were describing them? I mean, some people might say that's, that's uh, uh, pedophile material or something like that. Right. I, I, I remember a review somebody did of um, – his name is you, – you're familiar with the photographer, I'm sure, David Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's a naturist photographer and a fine art photographer of female nudes and so on. He did a book called The Age of Innocence, and it was about – almost everyone in the book was below the age of 16. And uh, one person – I thought it hit the nail right on the head. He said, what makes us think – that human sexuality begins at 18. Just because that's the age of majority in most countries, some countries it's less. In, in Holland, I think it's 13. But what makes people think that sexual thoughts and sexual being only occurs at that age? I, it's a continuing process from the time we're the youngest child as we grow and, and find out that we are one sex or the other and that we have sexual feelings and, and sensual thoughts and so on as we grow up. So... It's a very dicey issue, however. I mean, children have become uh, one of the modern shibboleths. Uh, you just mentioned children and nudity in the same sentence, and you're a, you're a pornographer or you're a pedophile. 
Uh, in this particular case, in my pal Sylvia, it was two kids interacting and with no adults around. They were skinny dipping in the lake, and he was curious at seeing her, and she was curious at seeing him. And, you know, it was two kids uh, in, their, in their innocence, so to speak, were uh, uh, finding out about the other sex. Even in situations where a couple is married and a nature is story, I will never take it into the bedroom. I mean, that would be – in a nature of story, you can't do sex scenes. You know, in an in in adventure novel, sure. But you cannot take two naturists into the bedroom. They may be husband and wife, but you don't take them into the bedroom and, and vividly describe everything that's going on. That would be crossing a, a line that I don't think any naturist publisher would allow you to cross. They would not print anything like that. So you can't go too far with it. And I don't think it's necessary. Um, like one of my uh, editors in one of the publishers I, I, I work with said, we don't mind romance, but leave something to the imagination. <laughs> I thought that was a good way of putting it. You don't need to describe everything in vivid detail with all the technical terms, you know. That's true. And, it, it, and sadly, though, it seems that, uh, you know, with, with time – uh, we've become more and more vivid in everything that we do, particularly in, at least in the uh, the television and movie world, uh, which I'm not sure is necessary. I agree. Um, I always enjoy a movie where, yeah, okay, the characters make love, but it doesn't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to see uh, behinds going up and down and all that stuff. It, uh, I, I don't mind when you break to waves crashing on the beach. That I get the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, talking about other naturist literature, uh, I've already said I, lo- I love your stuff. I think it's great. But do you have any recommendations? Other people you particularly like, other stories, whether they're recent or really old that you've read that you think is really good read? I um, would highly recommend the Figley Forum. Just just put in um, figleyforum dot com, and it'll take you. Or just type Figley Forum in your browser, and it'll cue you to the uh, the website. Uh, he publishes uh, naturist fiction from all people, not just myself. And uh, currently he's running an interesting story called Naked City, which I thought was a very good – I think it not natural city. That's what it is. About a couple of tourists who drive into this fictional town that had, turns out to be a nudist town. And that's a fascinating story. There was another one he just did about a, a science fiction one where – a young boy does a, a transfer student type thing to another world and they travel via transporter. And this other world, everybody's nude in that world and they look at clothed people as the aberrants. And it was kind of an interesting take on just the world turned upside down. And so that, that's an excellent place to get naturist fiction. There are a couple of uh, – if you would put um, – Christian naturist fiction or naturist fiction in there, if you weed out all the porn sites you'll get when you, when you browse and put that, that, those terms in there, uh, you'll find some interesting sites that do feature some uh, good stories that other people have written. Um, uh, there's another site out there, Sunny Day. Uh, she puts out a site, and I believe she does fiction occasionally. Um, so there, are, I, can, I can't. I was looking in my favorites. I, I just can't seem to find them now that I need them. But um, there are a number of sites out there that give you some good fiction. They also have some appalling uh, examples as well. Um, you'll know it when you read it. You know, if it's if it's uninteresting, it doesn't really. You don't care to move along in the story. Then you know you found a clinker. 
Yeah, some of them may end up being more like the the old. Uh, I don't know if they even they have any more the penthouse forum. You know, I never thought well, this could happen yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those things. Uh, and and you know, um, the stories where the guy goes to a nudist park and he's he's doing it just to meet women. Uh, you can you can figure where that one's going to end up eventually. Yes, and, and of course he's he's successful because uh, I've never oh, been to a well, nature's park where that works, but uh, in in some of these stories it works every time. Well, in fictional nature's parks, I don't think there is one person there who's under the age of twenty six, <laughs> and all the women are fashion model gorgeous, and the guys are all hard bodies. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we know that's the case in. Every uh, nudist park across America and in Canada. Oh, yeah. Well, just like you and me, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, two of us are a couple of hunks, man. That's right. Fortunately, this is a podcast, so uh, we don't have to prove that. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, any books, any printed books that you've read that uh, you really like? Actually, I, I have not read a lot of uh, naturist fiction books. I did write one. I did read one. Um, about nudism, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, written by a guy named Jason. It was sort of an expose of uh, his his experiences in the nudist world. It actually turned out to be a pretty a good read. He had some negative experiences, and I'm kind of glad I didn't approach uh, nudism as a single guy. Uh, I was married at the t- uh, you know when we we got involved. And my wife participated. I didn't have the reluctant wife syndrome to deal with. And I was kind of glad I did it that way because uh, if, if what he said was true, and it seemed that a lot of it was, I recognized the places that he mentioned. Um, he had a heck of a time. And uh, he was just being honest. He didn't take any cheap shots. But it really wasn't fiction per se. I uh, have read other uh, naturist fiction stories through the internet. I've, I communicate with a fellow in England who writes naturist fiction and a couple of other people. I've, I've uh, read their stuff and we've shared our, our writing with each other. But uh, I really, uh, there's not a, a great deal of books out there and that's one reason I'm trying to see if I can't get ebooks going uh, so that people could get them for, on their computer or through Kindle. It saves that whole expense of getting books printed. But do you want to tell us? Uh, not everybody knows about ebooks. How does that work? Well, an ebook is basically a file. I mean, you could go on a word processor and write something and send it out to somebody as an attachment, and they can open it up in their word processor. And it's basically a page with writing on it. An ebook organizes it like a printed book. You have a table of contents. You have chapters. You have sections. But the nice part is with an ebook, you can, when you run your cursor over the various chapters, it highlights it. And if you click on it, it goes right to that chapter in the browser. So you have it right there on the page. That's pretty much, I guess, how Kindle works. And of course, the new Kindle, you can actually get an audio version of what's there on the page. So you have uh, the advantage of just downloading a written document and it will read it to you. So it's a little bit more organized format. It's easier to read that way. It's set up like a book, which people are familiar with. So it's it's a lot easier to deal with. Uh, a lot of times with email, the text is so doggone small with these larger uh, screens with the higher pixel density. My gosh, the words are so tiny. I have to have a screen uh, 57 inches in diameter, I mean diagonal, to be able to read some of the stuff. So I often take it off the Internet and put it on my word processor and 
blow it up a little bit so I can actually be comfortable reading it. So do you think the uh, days of the printed book are numbered? I, I'm ambivalent about that. Um, to me, there's nothing more portable than a paperback. You can stick it in your back pocket, throw it in your purse, throw it on the seat next to you in the car, take it anywhere. And, and it's so easy to open it up and start reading where you left off, provided you dog-eared the page. or you, Paperbacks are great because you don't care what you do to them. You, know? you can fold the page over. If you get it wet, who cares? It, you just read it until you're done and you toss it in the pile and somebody else grab it and read it until the pages fall out. Uh, Kindle is a kind of a neat idea. You can load up to, you know, 900 books, and as I say, it'll actually give you an audio version. So if you're in the car, you could throw your Kindle on audio and read your book while you're driving, and listen to it. Um, it's, it's not to me. It's not as convenient because the Kindle's going to run out of power. It has to be charged until it becomes as easy to deal with as a paperback book. I think uh, we'll see books around for a while. Well, there's also, you know, if I uh, leave my paperback behind or drop it in a puddle, I've lost 10 bucks. If I uh, lose my Kindle, that's a $500 loss. <laughs> right. Uh, on, on, another uh, thought, though, is if uh, with your Kindle, if you, uh, if you lose the file, you can always download it again So with, at, at no extra cost. So as long as you don't lose your Kindle, right, you haven't lost $500. <laughs> So where does uh, where does somebody get your material? Where do they uh, download it or buy it or uh, purchase it? Well, they can um, uh, go on to uh, my website. It's the nakedtruthnaturists.com. Um, actually, what you need to do, you can look, you can browse around the website, but you really can't get any content until you uh, become a registered user. Because it's a naturist site, I just don't want people jumping in from the web and looking around in there and reading stuff and, and getting back issues of my newsletter and everything else without uh, me knowing what's going on. So I, I will usually request an email, tell me something about yourself, just a little bit of data. You know, hi, I'm Bill. I'm from Nebraska. I've been a naturist for 15 years. I like, the, I like reading uh, naturist fiction, whatever. And uh, I'll send you an invitation to uh, come onto the uh, website. And once you're in there, I put out a newsletter once a month. I, as an email attachment, I'd send it out in a PDF file, and then I backlog everything on the website so you can get all the back issues going back to the founding of the newsletter, which was uh, in 2000. And uh, I also added a new section with my naturist fiction that I'm not selling. It's my short stories and stuff that I um, I just allow people to download and, and read. Um, so that's that's one way to do it. You can send me an email at wordworker at earthlink.net. And I will be happy to respond. So what's coming up in the future? Do you want to give us any ideas of some of the stories that are coming? Well, I'm in, in the process now of writing um, a sequel to My Pal Sylvia. For those My Pal Sylvia fans, it's called My Gal Lydia. Uh, trying to keep the theme there going. And uh, it's turning into, I think it's about uh, uh, one and a half times as long as Sylvia was. <laughs> uh, so that I, I evidently had a lot more to say in that one. Uh, that that's uh, currently in the works. I'm doing a sequel to another one I did a while back, which is going to be coming out as an ebook. Uh, Father Al takes a vacation. I'm doing uh, Father Al has a birthday. That's the sequel to that one, and that's turning into another epic. <laughs> Seems I get wordy on my second books. I'm trying not to be boring, though. It, it's kind of fascinating the subjects that it you can get involved in in 300 years in the future. 
and that's uh, you know I'm working on my mysteries at all, all the time. I'm I'm getting uh, more of them going, and uh, if I'm not doing my newsletter or writing a mystery or a short story, I'm doing ad copy or. <laughs> So it, it keeps me pretty busy. But those are the two big things that are be coming out uh, pretty soon. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca.